Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, I want to share a couple things with you before we, we get into, into the uh, passage here, Matthew 7. Um, just a couple things I, I experienced this week that just reminded me of a, a, a kind of couple things here at church. I was, I was invited, uh, and forgive me too, by the way, I've, I developed a coughing fit. Half I'm, I'm a tail end of a cold. Um, halfway through the sermon in the first service, I started to cough and couldn't stop. And the church was really excited. They got to leave early. No, they didn't. Um, but we muscled our way through. But since then, I had like 37 people give me cough drops and mints and gum, and I've got coffee and water, and somehow we're going to get through the next 25 minutes if you'll hang with me, all right? Um, uh, on Friday, I was invited to a, a gathering downtown, and uh, this has nothing to do that these first two things have nothing to do with our sermon this morning. They're just freebies. Um, the uh, this gathering was was down. It was a really cool thing. It was down at the Netherland Hilton, kind of a swank deal. And I was invited. I was a guest. I was invited by a friend, and um, I didn't know anybody. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you don't know a soul? About four hundred people. They all knew each other. They were all just loving and just t- conversations going on. And you know me. I'm. I tend to. I can hold my own with most crowds of people. I can, you know, find somebody to talk to. Um, this, these people were so connected and so intermingled. They were, and they were just having a great time. But I was standing off to the side, kind of all by myself, couldn't find anybody. And there were some I mean, big heavy hitters in this crowd, you know, looking, ooh, I know that guy, and I know that guy, and ooh, he almost went to jail, and all that kind of stuff. I'm looking at all these people, but nobody's talking to me. And so, so I'm literally, this thing, there was a lunch at noon. There was, it was a, like an open house from 11 to 12, like or just a reception. And the only guy I could find to talk to was a bartender. I finally went to and I probably had six Diet Cokes while I'm standing there talking to the bartender because nobody else would talk to me. And finally, I tell you what, I was so, sometimes the loneliest place you can be is in a crowd. And I was, I, I, I felt, I mean, I felt like there was a spotlight on me saying this guy doesn't belong here. And so the whole time I'm thinking, I just want to just talk to someone. I, I just want to go. I'm done. I, and I couldn't find the guy I was supposed to be with. And so it was, it was about five minutes to 12. I'd been there. There's a big, beautiful lunch getting ready to start. But I thought, I am so frustrated. I'm just going to go home. And, and as soon as I said that, as soon as I thought that, somebody put, hey, hey, you're by yourself. You don't, do you, yeah, I am. Do, do, you, do you know anybody? No, I don't. The guy I was supposed to be with, kind of, I guess he stood me up. Well, well, come on over with us. And this group, this table invited me to come and sit down, and they sort of pulled me into the conversation. And I was like, oh, whew, it's over. At least I'm, I'm connect, At least I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb. As I sat there and I felt that final relief, 
the, the Lord just kind of reminded me of something. And it was like at that moment, the Lord said, you know what? This is how people feel when they come to your church and they're by themselves. They've never been there before. And nobody talks to them. How did that feel? And I thought, that felt awful. And so I just want to share it with you all, you know, because like between the services and before and after, stuff's going on and we get busy and, and we get all this and and people come in that maybe we've never met before. And if nobody's talking to them, that can be the worst feeling in the world. And you know what? We can be the friendliest church in the world to each other and still isolate, make people feel very, very isolated when they come in and they're all alone. So my encouragement, encouragement number one, encouragement number one, when you see people and they feel like, you know, Spencer did a great job making these banners to get our kids, like the new one in the lobby about children's ministry, and we got some new banners in the back getting kids to where they're supposed to be, all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was really good. Um, But let's make sure that when we see people that we don't know, uh, maybe they're from the first service, uh, or maybe they're from the you know the eleven o'clock. So maybe who knows? Um, or maybe this is their first time, and they don't know where the bathroom is, or they don't know where the kids go, they don't know where the coffee and the donuts, or any of that stuff. And so let's go above and beyond, making sure we connect people. Because you know what? I would hate the thought, hate the thought. That somebody who walked into our church felt that way that I felt for those 45 minutes before that lunch on Friday. So let's make sure we're going. You know, we, we, we sit with each other. We, we, we kind of sit in our own, our own puce areas. And I, I actually had somebody the other day ask me, so I heard somebody passed away. Uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And they said, well, I don't know that I know that person. I said, well, they're, they're in your service, but they, they, sit on the, they sit on the other side of the sanctuary. Oh, well, I'd never meet them. They're on the other side of the sanctuary. That's never going to happen. Um, well, we need to make it happen. And you know what? When you're sitting in your tables in the back, we have a tendency to all kind of go to the same table. And if there's not an empty seat at your table, if it's so crowded there's not an empty seat, you've got too many people at your table. You need to split that crowd up and make sure there's an empty seat and invite people in. And so let's never put people in that, in that situation. Let's be a friendly church. To each other, but sometimes going to a friendly church when you're the outsider is like going to somebody else's family reunion. You just feel kind of weird. When you go on vacation, visit a church. Go to some church and, uh, and, and you know, get there early enough so you can feel that feeling of being the new guy. And so then you won't come back here and we won't treat people that way here. So that's, that's just my little lecture. And you're thinking, man, enough scolding. Come on, move on. Um, second lesson, and this is kind of on a happier note. Um, last Sunday, we were up at, at where my, my son and daughter, daughter-in-law go to church, Grace Baptist Church up in Cedarville. And uh, um, you know, it's a great church. It's, it's a big church, and like a lot of the college go there, and the president and, and, and all the Bible profs. And, and so, I mean, it's just a really solid church, about a thousand people, big old church. And it was between services, and, and they, we, they were going to have Owen, our grandson, dedicated in the uh, 11 o'clock service. And so Lisa and I are kind of hanging out between the services. And, and um, the pastor came over, and we got to talking, and his name is Craig Miller. Uh, he's in his mid-60s, and has been a pastor for many, many years. Most of his time was way out on the West Coast. And um, 14 years ago, 
he got called to this little town called Cedarville. They had no idea where the place even was. His wife, 14 years, and she said, I'm still trying to get used to the cornfields. They're out in the middle of nowhere. But pastor in this big church. And, and, and so we got to talk a little bit. And, and I said, you know, we're from Cincinnati and, and uh, Pastor Calvary Alliance Church. That's where Taylor grew up. And Alliance Church, he said, you know what? When I was a kid, and again, he's 62. He said, when I was a kid, I went to the uh, Hyde Park Alliance Church in, in, obviously in Hyde Park. And he said, um, he said, we were only there a year. My dad was in graduate school at Xavier. And uh, I was in the fourth grade, 10 years old, fourth grade. And he said, I didn't, I, I, I never had, I'd never had a Bible before. And he said, my Sunday school teacher gave me my first Bible. And I started to learn. And he said, I still have that Bible. He said, I've often thought about that guy. His name is his name was Alan Morford. Now, some of you are going, oh, Alan Morford, you know, Alan Morford, he, he comes to the nine o'clock service, sits in the back corner, 94 years old, just an incredible guy. And uh, I was sharing this story with uh, Alan and his family this morning. They gave me permission to share it with you. Think about that. Craig said, I've often wondered what happened to Alan. I said, I'll tell you what happened to him. He comes to my church every Sunday morning. I'll see him next week. I'll tell him I saw you. Um, Here this guy has. He's introduced to the Lord as a 10 year old. And he's been, you know, grows up, becomes a pastor all over the United States, pastoring these big churches out on the West Coast. Comes back to Cedarville. Now, my son, Taylor, and his wife, Ashlyn, and little guy, Owen, they're going to be under his care. And uh, all because Alan Morford, you know, 52 years ago, Alan Morford gave him a Bible and taught him in the fourth grade. Hey, if you're ministering to children today, don't, don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever think what you're doing doesn't matter. Because you never know when that all loops around and your your grandson is going to be ministered to by the guy who met the Lord back in those early days. What an incredible thing. So um, anyway, those are my two lectures for this morning. That's not the sermon, by the way. Um, you're all thinking, oh, cool, we're getting out early. I'm sorry. What do you have to do today? Uh, yeah, I know what you have to do. It's a Super Bowl. You have four o'clock. You're going to come here and pray. That's the first thing you're going to do. Okay, um, Matthew seven. We're going to spend our time um, down in Matthew seven, uh, verses twenty-four to twenty-nine. I bet that's me that's popping, isn't it? It's my pacemaker. No, I'm just. You know what, Jen? What if I? What if I just grab this? Well, that. But I bet the battery's going dead. I'll just use this. This is fine. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29, it says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, 
and, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Father, um, guide us this morning. Guide us by your truth. Guide us to understand, Lord, what it means to be people who are building our lives, our spiritual lives, our relationships, the decisions we make all on rock, on solid foundation. And I pray that you're pleased in the midst of that, in, in the midst of the application of those things. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I, I, um, I was given a gift earlier this morning. I've, I've gathered quite a collection of Bibles that belonged to good friends or people who have passed. And um, that, that popping is still happening. It's, so it's not, I think it's something else. It's not me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to. Maybe it is it is it is that what it is? Maybe Spencer can figure that out. Um, we got some kind of popping going on. That okay? So uh, I've got this collection, and they're Bibles that have been that belong to to good friends who have passed away. And this morning after the nine o'clock service, Jeff Sturts came up to me and he handed me this Bible, and it belonged to his dad, Carl. And Carl was a, a real key figure in, in my early days in the ministry. Carl was a leader in our church at Maramont, and I was able to participate in his funeral service last week. And, and so this is just something I'm really going to treasure. And one of the reasons I treasure it is because you can kind of flip through and see which passages of Scripture by the notes that they've given and notes they've kept, that kind of stuff. And you get to see a little glimpse of, of, of their lives. When my mother-in-law passed away, one of the things that her pastor asked for was if, if he could use her Bible for her funeral service. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, uh, Lisa and Karen gave him uh, the Bible just to use for that day. They gave it back. But, but uh, he preached her funeral service out of some of the notes that she had written in, in her Bible. And he thought it was just a really incredible gift. Well, if you were to go through my Bible, I've got this big, giant study Bible that was given to me by Paul and Lois Barbro. She was a church secretary at Marymount Church when I first started in the ministry. And, and I have done everything I've done in the last 30 years out of this Bible. And it's, it's big. It's heavy. Um, if if I, we go on trips or whatever, I always try to take a smaller Bible and think, but it just doesn't feel right. I want this Bible with me. We're going on a trip this summer. And, and, and I know anytime we fly, I lecture my family, uh, don't bring heavy stuff. You know, we don't want to pay those baggage fees and all that kind of stuff. But I still bring this big old Bible that weighs about 60 pounds. And if you were to leaf through this Bible... You would come to a, at least the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. If you've been following our reading plan, that's where you've been reading the last two weeks. You read Matthew 5 and 6 last week. You're at Matthew 7 and 8 this week. And, and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And it's that first real discourse that Jesus, the first real teaching Jesus gives after his baptism and, his, and, and the temptation, all those things that we talked about. And now he's starting to get, he's gathering. People are starting to 
hear about this guy. And, and now that a crowd is starting to follow him, he starts to establish the foundation of his ministry. I have found in my life that if I want to have a, a good barometer, if I want to recalibrate my spiritual walk, I go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus taught so many foundational truths here. And he tells us that he didn't come to he, he didn't come to to destroy the Old Testament law, but he came to fulfill it. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews five, six and seven, he literally is is reteaching or reframing the Old Testament law. Look here at what he says in Matthew 7. Uh, we call this the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And then he says this, for this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's a reference to the Old Testament. And here Jesus says the Old Testament is the, really literally the mind of God. Everything that we need to know of the mind of God we have in the Old Testament. And we could sum it up in this thing that we call the golden rule. But Jesus says he's come to, in the Sermon on the Mount, give us the heart of God in the, in the framing of this, on the Old Testament law. The Israelites had taken the law and, and really made it a, 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 almost a, a matter of retribution. It was, here's our law. Here's how we're going to live and here's how we're going to the rest of the world is going to be judged uh, because they're they're on the outside of this law. They're apart from this law. And they started building all of these things of, you know, talking about what it meant here. They're talking about murder. Jesus talks about murder and not just being a a physical thing, but a hatred towards somebody else. God considered murder, adultery being not just physically acting out on our lust, but just the the lust in our minds, these these various reframings of the of the Old Testament law and showing us the heart of God. So we have not just the mind of God, but now we have the heart of God as well. And so I, I, I've, I have found it. And who knows, maybe someday when when I pass and, and somebody preaches my funeral and they say, hey, what? Let me take a look at his Bible. They'll look at the Sermon on the Mount and they'll see that it's marked up and there are notes everywhere and the pages are torn. And another this fell out just this morning. All this from just these three little pages. Such powerful teaching. But here God, God comes to a conclusion at the Sermon on the Mount when he says this. Jesus says in verse 24, therefore, this is how we build life on rock. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, what's the rock? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. That's the rock. It's one thing to saturate our minds. It's one thing to saturate our, our hearts, our everything with the Word of God. It's a hear and to hear and to hear. We have more resources today than the church has ever had in its history. But Christian sociologists today tell us that we're probably in a period in the church where we apply less and less of the Scripture than centuries previous. Though we have more information, we probably have less obedience to that information. And then we wonder why we live weak and struggling and ineffectual lives. 
Because it's, we're not applying, we're not building our life on the rock by applying the things that we hear. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That rock, again, the application of the word of God, not just hearing it, that's what James says in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But no, the essentially, if we can look at, saturate, reflect on our lives against the word of God... And if we're not applying it, it's like looking in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what we see. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that does what? It gives freedom. That's the rock. Applying the word of God that gives freedom and continues in it. We've been talking about staying in flow with God, staying in the word and staying in communal prayer, staying in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we continue in it, not forgetting what we've heard, but doing it, then then we'll be blessed in what we do. The rain's going to come. We've talked about it again and again. I almost hate to say it again, but something is going to happen this year that's going to rock our lives. The rain's going to come. But even though we know the rain's going to come, we can stand firm because we're applying the things that we hear. But there's an opposite. What about a life on sand? The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Life on sand, verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. What's foolishness? Foolishness is, sadly, it's when we hear and we hear and we hear, but we don't do anything with it. We don't apply it. I want to clarify something I said last Sunday night in, in my, uh, my report to the church. And one of the things I said is that sometimes I get frustrated because, you know, we... For years now, we've been a church where just about every Sunday morning, we'll have anywhere from 150 to 190 people between both services. And, our, and, it's, and it's like clockwork. That's where our attendance is. And essentially, the, uh, those who study church attendance today basically say if you go to church twice a month, you're an active participant. Twice a month. That's, you would be considered a, a solid church goer in today's culture. Cultures past, it was three or four times a month, but in today's culture, twice a month. What frustrated me about that, the numbers don't mean anything, whether it's 100 people or 600 people. One, we want to see growth by people who are coming to new faith in Jesus Christ. That means that we're doing what we're told we're supposed to do, and we're lovingly sharing with others the truth that's been shared with us. We're doing in the lives of others what Alan Morford did in Craig Miller's life 52 years ago. That's a part of what it means to see growth and life. The other part of that, though, 
is using the resources that we've been given to apply the truth of the word of God. The problem is when we hear and we hear and we hear and we measure our faith by how much we're hearing and not by how much we're applying. And life on rock means application. It means taking what we hear and putting it into practice. Walking it into our Tuesday faith and our Thursday faith and our Saturday faith. I want to encourage you, keep saturating your mind with the Word of God. Keep letting that, that Word speak into your spirit. But let's not let it end there. We've got to take it to that next step, that step of application. Remember, verse 27, the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You notice that verse 27 is exactly like verse 25. What's that mean? Jesus is basically making the point that whether you're a follower of God or not, the storms are going to come. The blessings and the storms are going to come. He says it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 45 in chapter 5, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. All that stuff's going to come to everybody. But the issue is how well we apply the things that we're learning from the Word of God when those things come. We have more resources today than we've ever had. I, I, I listen to, anytime I'm not here on a Sunday, I try to listen to the, to the uh, sermon of whoever preached. And, and Brian, you know, Brian preaches the, the last Sunday of each month. Actually, he's going to preach the third Sunday of this month. And Spencer will be preaching the last Sunday because it's church planting month. And so Spencer, as our resident church planter, is going to do that the last Sunday of this month. And we're also going to have a special guest with us. Um, so Brian will preach on the third Sunday. But I, I, I always go back and, and listen to those, those sermons. And, um, and so I'd listen to Brian's earlier uh, in the week, and, and then, but I wanted to make sure it was fresh in my mind for this morning. And so last night, as I'm going to bed, I I put on the we- I went to the website, pulled up his sermon, put it in my little earbud headphone, and and uh, laid down, and and I was asleep in three minutes. It was incredible. So I would encourage you if you struggle, you know. Um, anyway. So the issue is not just the hearing. But the issue is putting these things into practice, into our walk, into our daily lives. Saturating ourselves not only with the truth of the Sermon on the Mount and everything else we're going to experience with Jesus over these next three months, but letting it be fleshed out in our lives. Verse 28 and 29 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. That word authority there is a key word. It's a Greek word that means credibility. He taught with credibility. The teachers of their day had little credibility. They were teaching one thing and living something else. Here Jesus had the credibility of a teacher. F.F. F. Bruce, famed theologian. He said the scribes spoke by authority, you know, their position, resting all they said on traditions of, of what had been said before. Jesus spoke with 
authority out of his very soul. Beautiful. Beautiful the way that Jesus spoke to them. The way Jesus speaks to us. And in that authority, he calls us to apply. Hey, one last thought, then I'm going to let you go home. Um, I, I spent uh, seven years in the, in the Army National Guard. And um, I was in an infantry unit. And and so we would, every every summer, we would spend two weeks up at Camp Grayling, Michigan. And as an infantry unit, you know, you'd, we'd convoy up to Michigan. We would drop our, you know, our stuff in the barracks, but we would head right to the field. And we would be out in the field. And, and again, as an infantry unit, we had to know what it meant to live out in the field and big two-week war game. And we always trained with the 101st Airborne. And, and um in the midst of this one maneuver, we were in, in. I was fairly young in my my uh, military days, and um, our platoon. We were two platoons, two platoons together, about eighty guys in this detachment, and and we they wanted to move us from one section of the battle to another. And you know, in the infantry, when they want to move you from one section to another. You know, they come and fly in. No, they don't do it. They, they, you walk. That's how you, I don't care how far it is, you walk. And so we started walking. And then we walked in a straight line. We were moving through the woods. And, and um, as we're moving through the woods, and you know, 80 guys, I'm well back in the line. Everything, everything gets passed back as messages as you're, as you're moving. And so we're, we were, uh, we had walked literally all day. We'd left early, early that morning, probably around 5, 6 a.m., and now it's the middle of the night. And so it's probably around 2 a.m. And so we had walked that long, and we were worn out. And so the line stops. Word gets passed back, hey, we're going to stay here for a couple hours. Go ahead and get a little sleep. So I just dropped my pack, dropped everything I had, and I just laid down on the ground. We were all exhausted, so we just laid down. And when I laid down, I noticed that where I was laying, it was really soft. Oh, it was nice and sandy. It was like almost like a waterbed. Oh, this is incredible. This dry sand. Oh, this is great. And I just went off to sleep. What I didn't realize is that I had laid down into a, I had laid down in a dry creek bed. Well, it started to rain. And what happens to dry creek beds in the rain? They fill up with water. And I was so wiped that I'm laying there in this creek bed. And as it starts to gain a little bit of moisture, a stream of water started. I'm laying on the ground. It started through the top of my my BDU shirt, my uniform shirt, goes down through my shirt, down through my pants leg, out my pants leg, and just on down through the stream. I had become one with nature. I had become one with that stream. And the longer I laid there, the wetter I got. But I was so tired, I didn't even care. Finally, a few hours later, the sun is starting to just barely come up. Word gets passed back. Hey, guys, get up. It's time to move out. Stood up, grabbed my pack, and it was at that point I realized I was soaking wet. Nothing I could do about it. We had to get moving. I spent the next day and a half <laughs> living out, the, trying to dry out. And you know how miserable that is. You know what's sad? 
In that backpack that was laying right next to me was a wet weather gear. There was a poncho. There was a shelter half or a tent. Everything I needed to stay dry was right next to me. But I chose to lay there in the sand and get soaked. Everything we need for stability, strength, and building our life in a safe and healthy place is right here in the Word of God. But we have to choose to apply it. The choice is up to us. It's not just in the hearing. Hearing is important. We have to hear. But in the hearing, we've also got to apply. And as we apply the truth of the Word of God, then He continues to bring us more and more of His strength and His stability and the health, the spiritual health that affects not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. And we thank You, Lord, for giving us Uh, Again, just a a picture of your truth. And I would pray, Father, that as we reflect on on your word, and even as we continue through this this sermon series over these next few months, I pray that as we hear more and more of the teaching of Jesus, whether we're reading the plan on our own or talking about it in our Calvary groups or here on Sunday mornings, I just pray you'd continue to speak to us. And speak to us in what it means to be people who are following and honoring and applying your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just before we go, these guys are going to sing and and lead us out. But there are three responses in your sermon response box there on the back of your worship folder. The first one says, pray that I can better understand how to put into practice all that I'm learning from God's word. That's the key. And so, again, if you check these boxes, all the other pastors and I will be praying for you. Pray that I can better understand how to put into practice all that I'm learning from God's Word. Number two, my life seems like it's built on sand. Pray that I can figure out what needs to change. If your life is shifting and and, and moving and, and you don't feel that stability that God wants you to have, then something needs to change. And so we ask that God show us what that is and that we have the courage to change it number three pray that i can better trust the authority of god's word here's the thought i always seem to come up with better ideas yeah i know what god's telling me to do but you know i think i have a better idea here's what i'm gonna do no god's calling us to take his word and apply it and as we do so to feel that strength why don't you stand with us as we sing. Hey, and know that after the service, if there's anything you want to talk about, I'll be up here at the front 